So let's welcome Brent to the platform. Well, it is a great privilege um, to be with you. And when Pete said that I had come over from the States, uh, it's true in the sense that we live in the States, but I've spent the previous week or so in Uganda, so um, fresh off just some great time with our people there. And um, they all said in typical African fashion, please send all of our greetings to those of ones at Skylark. So check, done. You've all been greeted. All right, so before we kind of dig into today, I'd love just to show, tell you a bit about who we are and a bit about how this story of Cherish is connected so deeply to, to this place. So this picture is just a picture of our family. And uh, my wife in there, uh, Leah, uh, in the middle there, uh, married 31 years. And we would have never have imagined uh, the journey that God has had for us. And it has had its amazing highs and amazing lows, and God has been present through all of it. Um, we have, these are all of our children. Um, Bo is our oldest with the beard on the left, and his wife, Eviaya. And not pictured there is our new grandson, Malik, um, to, to their first child. And they actually live in Copenhagen. And so we moved in 2010 to Uganda and moved our kids with us. And when you do that, you tell your family, oh, yeah, you guys can do anything they want. And then they go and they do what they want, and then they end up living in Copenhagen. So, um, <clears throat> so we are very excited for what God is doing in their life. And then our next born is Amy. She's right to the left of my wife there. She lives in Austin, Texas, with, uh, just about 10 minutes from us. And then our third-born son, Luke, and with his wife, Sarah. And they don't have any children yet. And then Tekle in the back. And he's uh, 17. He's actually standing at Heathrow right now waiting for a taxi to bring him here. Um, we decided about five days before I was to leave to Uganda that, oh, dude, you should come with us. And so um, mad scramble to get tickets and visas. And we managed to make all the flights work except for the one from Uganda to Heathrow. We did find one. There was one seat on my plane, but it was business class and cost $4,500. And I said... You're not doing that one, so <laughs> so he flew in um, this morning, and so he's from Ethiopia. We actually adopted him before we moved to Africa, and then Kate there in the middle, um, she is 11, and she is uh, Ugandan, and we adopted her uh, while we lived in Uganda. And so, 13 years ago, this crew moved—not not the wives, but those kids—we all moved to to Africa to work with Cherish Uganda, and. The Cherish story actually started back in 2005, and it started when Bev Merle, Susie Harrington, Sue Gibson, and some others went to visit um, Pete's mom, Ruth Sims, who was doing some amazing work in Uganda with kids with HIV. And so they decided to head down there and to visit, and as they're in this clinic, um, that clinic is really not a good descriptive word, it's a massive facility that Ruth Sims had was directing there for kids with HIV. They're standing over this crib of this baby. And Bev is just asking questions about how did this kid get here and what's the process and what's going to be the future of this child. And she finds out that this child was abandoned. This child has HIV. They've figured out the proper medical cocktail for this child. But they do not start the children on medication until they have a caregiver. 
because it's really important that that medication is given um, proper doses at the proper times, very consistent, along with good nutrition and um, good hydration. And so they just wait until a caregiver comes that can be trained. So Bev looks at this little baby and says, well, has a caregiver come for this one? And Ruth looks at her and says, mm, not yet. So if a caregiver doesn't come from this one, will this baby die? Ruth said, yeah, this baby will die, unfortunately, here in this crib. And Bev says she heard God say to her at that point, you can do something about this if you want to. Now, Bev's initial response, and if you know Bev, this won't surprise you, her initial response was, well, I don't like kids. I'm not moving to Africa. Humidity's bad for my hair. I'm not a doctor. Like, what can I possibly do about any of this? And so she continued on her trip, um, ended up talking, having these conversations with people on the trip, and just that just kind of just sat there and stirred and bubbled up. Well, then she comes back here, stands on this stage, starts sharing about her time there. And then she tells that exact same story about that baby who was named Rachel, who was in that crib. And she said, and this is what God has said to me, and I don't know what to do about it. So if you want to join me in figuring that out, why don't you come up after church and we'll talk. Church is dismissed. 30 people stood right here. So for me, this is ground zero for the work that God's doing there. It was right here where 30 people said, I'm in. I don't know what it means, but I'm in. And out of that, nine people said, I'm packing my bags and headed to a place to figure out what does it mean when God says you can do something about this if you want to. Well, meanwhile, we're in America. We don't know any, um, we don't know anybody here. I've never even been to Europe before, never been to Africa before, just worlds apart living our life in, in Texas. And God starts changing our heart radically towards, um, towards, towards the, who we affectionately call in Scripture the wopos, the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the oppressed, and the strangers. And so God is radically changing our heart to the point that we are moving to a, a very underserved part of town, um, quitting this large church that we were a part of in a very comfortable setting and moving into a planting a small church that served a whole different kind of people than we'd ever ever served before and then we decided to send our first missionary to Uganda missionary goes to Uganda about six months in they're like this place is hard so my wife and two other gals hop on a plane fly to Uganda and just start to minister to them and in the course of the time they were there, they heard about this little orphanage for HIV kids out by Entebbe. So they thought, oh, we should swing by there, check it out. So on the way home, they swing through this little place. They spend 45 minutes getting a quick tour. And they come back, and my wife could not stop talking about this place. And so... I'm just thinking, okay, great, let's partner with them. Let's start sending some money and start encouraging them and, you know, do what good churches do. And so um, that's what we start doing. And then Rachel Parsons, who was leading Cherish at the time, that Bev had mentored and put into place, she decides to come to America to do some fundraising. We find out about that. We say, you should come to Texas. So she does. Start having conversations, and one thing leads to the next, and we feel like, I think we're supposed to be there. I think this is, I think God's calling us to be there. And so we fly to Uganda, meet with the board. We fly for the weekend, meet with the board. And 
They said, we want you. We don't know what you do, what you'll do. We don't have a job description, but you should come. <laughs> okay. So we came. And, um, and my wife went in January of 2010. By November of 2010, we had sold everything, transferred the church leadership, and off we went. And had no clue really what God was about to do. After about two years um, of working under Rachel and with that leadership team, um, Rachel got to the point where she said, I think it's time for me to transition out, and I think it's time for you guys to transition in. I'm like, oh, okay. And so we were handed the keys, and off we went. Now, at this point is when we sat and said, okay, if we're now leading this, how do we now take the key values that were implanted at Cherish in the beginning? Like this idea around, um, around making sure that we're caring for the most oppressed. This idea around how do we empower local people so there's not white people swooping in and saying, we know how to run your country, let's show you how to do it. Just some of these key things that are already there. And then taking this leading value of my wife and I's of discipleship and relationship. And now how do we pull this together? Now, it's amazing. When you start asking God questions, he's going to start answering. And that's exactly what happened. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. And we're going to start at verse 12. It's kind of a natural break there in verse 12 and it's in, you know, in your Bible. And it says, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Now you're like, wait a minute, I've already obtained what? Why is there a break there? So you go up to the verse before and you say, okay, this is what he's trying to obtain. Verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So he says, I want to know God. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to share in his sufferings, even to the point of death. So then he says, now, I haven't already obtained this yet. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So this is his life goal. To know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection... And to share in the sufferings even to the point of death. That is who, what God wants for us as well. That's not typically on our, uh, you know, those dream boards that you make up and stick on the fridge. But this is what God is saying, I want this for you. So now turn to John chapter 10. John 10 verse 14. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my down, my life down for the sheep. This knowing God, it is, it's all about a relationship for him. Everything is about relationship. And this word know that he uses in Philippians, just like the word know that Jesus used is the Greek word gnosko. And it's this deep intimate knowing it's not just facts it's not just um, oh I know their name and I know where they live and I know the food they like and their favorite color no it's this deep knowing of the things that are inside the things that actually make someone who they are and God says I already know you like that and I want you to know me like that 
And he starts off in verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And then he takes a deep a step deeper. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. And he takes it another step to the point that I will lay down my life for the sheep. So why does this even matter? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Sorry, I got you hopping around a bit. Ephesians 5.15. Paul says, look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It matters to know God because the days are evil and we need to know the will of God to be able to maneuver through all of this. Yeah, when James said, yeah, there's a lot happening in our world today. Yeah, that's probably a, the greatest understatement we've probably heard. Yeah, there is a lot happening. And we have this responsibility to somehow be light in the midst of that darkness we have this responsibility to step into all of this that's happening and be who God wants us to be. And the only way we're going to know this is if we know the will of God. And the only way we're going to know the will of God is if we know him. All right, one more verse, John chapter 10. Well, I can't promise one more verse, but. John 10, we're going to get three, verse 3. Jesus again, and he says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out, and when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Shepherds in the Middle East during this time, and actually even today, led their sheep by their voice. A shepherd would have all these sheep come up to a watering hole, and the sheep all start drinking. Shepherd's standing there, another shepherd shows up, all his sheep. They all start kind of intermixing. The shepherds are sitting over here just kind of chewing the fat, talking about the day. Another shepherd shows up. Sheep all intermixed. So you got four or five shepherds that are standing out here talking. You got hundreds of sheep. Well, now the first guy's ready to go. There's no way he's got to figure out who are my sheep. So he just lets out a call, lets out the voice, starts walking. You know what happens? All those sheep, hmm? 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 off they go. The next guy, the same. It's time to go. Come on, everybody. Let's go. Out they go. Because those sheep know that shepherd's voice so well. And they know that and trust that shepherd, that that shepherd can take me where I need to go, protect me when I get there. I want to go wherever he goes. And that's what God's saying to us. He says, I want you to know me so well, gnosko me so well, that when you hear my voice, you know it. In the midst of all of these competing voices that are everywhere around us, you can pick out mine in the midst of all this and know where to go. It's all about relationship. All of it. He doesn't just have a book of rules for us to follow and expect you, you check the boxes, you follow the rules, everything will be fine. No. He wants to know us and he wants us to know him. And now we're going to be able to navigate through this mess called life. In Ephesians, 4, Ephesians 1, 4, um, Paul says that God chose you before the beginning of time. Now, that's a concept we've probably heard before. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. 
let me put this into a bit of perspective. We're sitting here in Skylark Church in the country of England, on the continent of Europe, on this planet we call Earth, in the solar system, surrounding this sun with a few other planets cruising around, in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In the Milky Way galaxy, there are over 400 billion suns. So our galaxy alone has 400 billion suns with all of their planets circling around it, bouncing around in this big thing we call the Milky Way galaxy. And then you take it one step farther, farther there is 2 trillion galaxies like ours. And now science tells us that's just as far as we can kind of figure out. It goes beyond. We just can't figure out anything more beyond that. And in all of that, we haven't been able to be, find any life anywhere. But here, there's got to be something very special about what God's doing here. And so then you look at the fact that, wait a minute, that God who created all that somehow wants to know, have a relationship with me and wants to know me. This God who created these two trillion other galaxies and then you have this Milky Way with ours with 400 billion suns in it. And then within that, there's this solar system that's got these planets floating around it. And one of those planets is Earth. And then on Earth, there's a continent. And it's, it's Europe. And in that Europe is London. And in London is Chelmsford. And in Chelmsford is Skylark. And in Skylark is this chair right here. And somehow in all that, he says, ah, I want to know James, you and me. Come on. We're going to know one another in this deep, deep, deep way. So what does this have to do with Cherish Uganda? We exist to help people understand and know that. That God has a relationship with you. And we don't want our people to know that. We want them to believe it. Because you can know the fact. Facts about, oh yeah, God loves me. And God has a wonderful plan for my life. And God's this and God's that. But we live out of what we believe. So you can say all those facts if you want, but then what happens when you go to work tomorrow? And what happens when you're parenting kids that are difficult and hard and you got families that's sick and the bank account doesn't look like you want it to look? And like, do you really believe those things? Really? And so that's what we are constantly trying to help our people understand is there is God, God wants this relationship with you that is more, a relationship that is deeper, this relationship that is intimate, that walks through all of that stuff. So this is what we do. So I'm going to share with you just some random pictures. Um, I just hopped on my phone and pulled some pictures from this week and some pictures from um, when we were there last a few months ago. Um, so we lived in Uganda for six years, and then it got to the point where we, two key things were kind of lining up. One of them was... From the very beginning, Cherish had this, this beautiful picture of, we want locals to run this thing on the ground. And so we were reaching the point where it was that time. And at the same time, as a board, we were realizing if Cherish is going to grow, somebody has to be out raising money. And so you can't raise money in a village in Africa. So I think it's time for you to move back to the States and start doing that. So that kind of happened at the same time. And so we, we, we left, moved back to Texas. And so now we travel back three, four times a year. It's either my wife goes or I go or we both go. So both of these pictures are from this trip this week or they're from um, 
the trip in the summer where we went for a month with our family. All that to say, these aren't like, here's our best pictures for the last 12 years. Here's our best stories. Like, no, this is the stuff that's happening right now in this place. That is a little guy by the name of Tom. He's not really little anymore. But Tom, um, he, there was his mom, HIV positive, um, gave birth to twins uh, in, on the road, just on a dirt road. And she went bonkers. Um, and immediately after her twins were born, she started killing her brother and did kill him right there on the road. Somebody intervened before she got to Tom. Um, she was arrested, died in prison. Tom ended up in an orphanage in Kampala. was there for seven years. That orphanage got closed down. Um, they managed to do something with all the children. I don't know what, but Tom, since he was HIV positive, they, couldn't, they didn't know where to put him. So they'd heard about Cherish. And so Tom ended up um, coming onto the site and living at Cherish. But we have, we have this idea around um, family-based care versus institutionalized care. At the time, when Cherish started, the best idea we had was, let's start an orphanage. Let's get kids to come. They need to come here, live here. We'll help them get on with life. Once they get 18, they should be launched into the world. But what we realized is, as good of an institution as we can, be, we can become, we will never match what a family can do. So ideally, we need to figure out, how do we get these kids into families? And so the course of probably two, maybe three years, it took us to get kids reunited with families um, there was some that we could not. Um, we ended up adopting out six, and then we had a handful of like four that we never did. Tom was one of those. So currently, right now, Tom still lives at Cherish, um, and he works for us. He's a compound worker, and he spends his days raking leaves and cleaning, um, you know, keeping things look looking well-stewarded and beautiful. And this guy is becoming an amazing young man. And he's, he knows he doesn't have a family, and we continue to talk through that story with him. Um, but he is blossomed. He was a troublemaker from the get-go. Um, but he is a different individual because, not because we've run him through all of our programs, but because there's people that have been loving him and walking life with him. Next picture. Uh, that's my wife sitting with our social work team. And so we have a lot of social workers. Um, we've had many social workers over the course of many years, but we've had a lot of social workers that were trained in social work and have degrees, and we started to realize that we actually want to train our own social workers because the stuff they're teaching in school isn't really what we're wanting them to do because we don't want to run through programs. We don't want to just check the boxes and fill out forms. We want to build relationships, and we want to disciple. So this is Leah's just sitting around this table of social workers, and just continuing to train and pour into them and help them understand that it is about discipleship and relationship, and this is how we're truly going to change lives of people. Next photo is... That's our son, Tekle, um, sitting next to a guy by the name of Jerry. Uh, Jerry is one of the kids at Cherish uh, who was there with us for years. And... Um, Jerry, when he kind of aged out of the system back in those kind of early years when that's what we were doing, aging kids out, they were kind of going out into the world to sort themselves. Um, Jerry really struggled um, significantly. And he has since decided he wants to work at Cherish. 
And so he came back to the village. He rents a small room that is smaller than that drum enclosure with a bed in it. Um, we currently don't have a position for him. And it's kind of this twofold thing. We told him, Jerry, we don't have a position for you, but we can pay you, we can feed you, and we can pay, you, pay your rent if you want to come work. And part of that is we just kind of want to see, is he even serious about any of this or is he not? And this guy has, again, just become a rock star. It's been amazing. He, he wants to do all, everything the employees do, every responsibility. Every, he wants to do it all because I know I'm not getting paid, but I, I so desperately hope I will someday work here, and I'm going to do everything like I am now, hoping that you'll see this in me. So by the time I come here next, I mean, he may be running the place for all I know. I mean, he's, he's really it's been awesome. Next picture. Uh, that's me teaching uh, a bunch of local pastors. Um, we... We currently have a, we had a team we brought from Austin this last week, and a senior pastor and six people from his church, and they've been supporting Cherish for about a year and a half, and just felt like it's time for us to go check it out, and uh, at the end of the week, his name is Dan, he said, this idea that you guys just take care of kids with HIV, like, that is like the smallest little top of the surface, and that's really the way into all this other stuff, and so these pastors you know, they started coming to me years ago. First, they were upset at me because I was um, kind of disrupting some of their teaching by some of the things we were teaching. And so that then turned into what was once this initially kind of a combative thing to them coming to our home once a month and doing pastoral training. And so now every time I come, we get the word out and the room fills up and we sit and just talk about what does it mean to lead a church in a way that God called. So it's been really, really fruitful, really, really amazing. Next one. That is, uh, that's Leah teaching our team. Um, we, every single morning, our team shows up and they get a video teaching from either Leah or I on Monday. And then they spend the first 45 minutes of their day um, in scripture and talking about that scripture and praying with one another. And so the day starts at 7 for all of our staff. They show up at 7 o'clock, and they're in these small D groups, and these groups are four to five people. And I lead the guys who lead those groups, and Leah leads the gals who lead those groups, and it's just amazing to watch the growth from us just taking the time to spend every morning. So when we're there, we kind of gather them together in these groups and teach live. So that's Leah doing that this summer. Next one. That is two of our staff, two of our cooks on the right. It's Valentino. And Valentino, amazing. This guy, he has a real heart for people who don't know who Jesus is. And so he used to, um, he used to walk. He had a microphone and this little portable speaker, and he would stand in front of bars and speak and preach, and, and hoping these guys in the bars would hear him. And so he said, Valentino. What if you leave the speaker home when you actually go in the bar? He's like, oh, pastor, I don't know about that. You can. You can go in the bar. You can order a soda and just start to get to know them. So for the last by year, that's what he's been doing. And now when he goes into these bars, they buy him his soda. And he's just welcomed in. And people are hearing about God and coming to Christ because of this guy's love for his community. Yeah, and so all the things he's learning in D groups, he just takes those things and he sits down and starts talking about these things with these guys in these bars. 
It's really, it's really remarkable. Uh, next one is, those are some of the single moms at Cherish. Um, in any culture, your single moms, man, the burdens that they have to carry. And so these women, they struggle. And so we decided, let's just gather them together. Let's sit and have lunch and just talk and encourage one another. We sat for like six hours with these gals. And just the weeping and the stories and now the walking with them has been really awesome. And these are some strong women who are loving their children well and now understand the idea of discipleship with my kids. And it's not just, I don't just want to feed them and send them to school. Like, I'm supposed to help them to know who God is in that Gnosko way. All right, next one. That's Eddie on the left and his wife, Dora. This is just a little shop. Um, a lot of our staff will have these uh, kind of little side gigs, you know, that their spouse will do. And so Eddie, he's uh, one of our key staff members, and his wife runs this little shop. Um, it's, they kind of have a tough road with their daughter. He's holding his da- their daughter. Her name is Avi, and she has sickle cell. And so they are walking through treatment, and you know, it's, an, it's incurable, and it's, she will die early. Um, but they're just trying to figure out how do we keep life comfortable for her for as long as she will live, and how do we walk this journey? And so we are walking that with them as well. But we just had gone down one evening and needed to buy something at his little electronic store, and they make juice and just are a light in that community. And what's really cool is we did a whole teaching on Sabbath and rest, and after that they decided we are not working on Sunday and our shop is closed. And so you go by on Sunday, all these shops are open except for doors. It's closed every Sunday, and they're home as a family on Sundays, which is really cool. And then this next picture is a picture of a couple guys, um, obviously three from church. The guy on the right, his name is Charles. I wanted this picture after Eddie's picture because Charles grew up in our village, as did Eddie, in the village of Bulega, which is where Cherish is. And Charles used to look up to Eddie and would would just want to be with him. So he would kind of wander around and try to connect with this guy because he knew there was something about this guy. And, and I didn't hear the story till lunchtime on Saturday before I flew out. And Charles, I was sitting next to Charles, and he was just said, did you ever know this story about me? And so he tells me this story and how he, he just knew that Eddie was somebody he wanted to be like. And so then when he started coming to school at Cherish, and then he started to realize that he might be able to have some contact with Eddie, he basically reached out to Eddie and said, Eddie, I I want to be like you. Can you teach me? Basically, can you disciple me? And so Eddie has been pouring into Charles. And Charles is, you know, Eddie's life is looking like Jesus' life because he's, he's... spending time in the word, and now Charles' life is looking like Eddie's life, which is looking like Jesus' life. It's just the multiplication that God intended when he said, you know what, I'm not going to start church with a thousand people. I'm going to start with these 12 guys. And then you guys are going to go, and you guys go, and you guys go, and you guys go. And so it's happening with our peeps. Uh, Is there another one? Oh, yeah, that's a bunch of guys playing football. So that is a huge opportunity. We were able to build a proper soccer football pitch at Cherish and it's the only one on the peninsula and it is full of people every single day and so they started coming and there's all you know we have kind of the rules and regulations of this is how you treat this and steward it well and it's amazing to watch them kind of even self-govern themselves when somebody will say a bad word or drop a bottle you know somebody's like whoa 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 we don't do that here and it's not our people saying that it's the community that says that and so now we're 
we're starting to figure out, okay, we have this massive opportunity with all of these kids coming to play football. How do we start to now push the gospel through this? And what's amazing is there's so many things out there that do exactly that. So we're not going to reinvent the wheel. We're currently looking at different, different programs and ideas to make that happen. So that's, that's just one of, the, one of the teams. And next one. Uh, this is just a clinic. We have a hospital on site, and we do a lot of HIV care and a lot of um, just regular medical needs. And so we also will do these outdoor clinics where our team will just show up. We bring a bunch of supplies and show up, and we'll give immunizations and do blood tests and HIV tests and counseling. And So this is one of those. And obviously, people just flock. It's, the need is so, so great. And the next one. I think this is the last one. This guy on the left, his name is Joel. And typically in Africa, um, you'll have land that your family owns. It's been passed down to you. You live on this land. And for people who live out in the bush, a husband will try to go into town somewhere and find a job. And so they'll come down to the south and the central, like Kampala and Tebe, and start to work. And might not go up to visit your family, like maybe once a year. And just work and send money. And so... We used to have a lot of people doing that at Cherish. And so we've slowly been just working through this idea of, of families being together. And so this, it came down to this was our last one. His name was Joel. And his wife, far away in Arua, like eight hours away via bus. And this last summer we did a marriage conference. And we said, Joel, we're going to pay for your wife to come down for this conference. So we paid for her transport. She came down. We did this conference over the weekend. And just through many, many conversations with her and him, it was after that weekend that she said, okay, I'm going to come down and live down here. And they now they also know that means I've got to find somebody to live on the land because someone can steal our land and steal the house. And, but they've worked through all of that. And now, at this point, now we have all, everyone who's married at Cherish is living with their spouse and building a marriage and building relationships, Yeah, which is truly amazing. So all of this... You know, we take care of kids with HIV, for sure. But it's all of this that flows out of that as you just keep pushing into relationship, into relationship, into relationship. And what's amazing is it all started because Bev decided to go down and visit her friend in Uganda. Again, it started with relationship. And there's no way they would have known that this trip would do that. I mean, that's just a handful of the most some recent stories. The life change there is remarkable because somebody had the courage to say that and then come here and say it and 30 people come up and say it and nine people move down there. And Skylark is a consistent um, financial supporter of what we do, people praying for us. Like it, There's amazing work happening, but it all comes down to relationship. And so for, for us, um, I can't be more thankful and grateful to you for what you do for what was started here, but what just continues to happen through this group of people and the life change that it has for the people there. I mean, those people, uh, the, the change is just so drastic, and it comes down to relationship. Relationship, relationship, relationship. So the next step for Cherish um, is another one that's focused on relationship. It's maternity. Um, moms having babies is a thing everywhere in the world. The problem with moms having babies with HIV is you're going to give birth to a baby with HIV. The beautiful thing is 
which I don't understand, but a mother with HIV, if she gives birth in a clinic that understands the process, can give birth to a baby who is HIV negative. So if we start having babies at Cherish, we will be literally saving that baby's life with every single delivery. So we have um, got to the point where all the money is raised for the equipment that's needed. We are continually working with the government to make sure we have all of our policies and procedures down. Um, we're doing some facility changes. Like all those kind of things are happening. And we are really, I'm hoping by mid-year this year, babies are happening at Cherish. And the beautiful thing about that is a mother shows up pregnant. Now we engage with a relationship with her all through that prenatal nine months. We're with her through the delivery. And then on the backside, all of that postnatal care, immunization of your baby. And so it's just this awesome opportunity to relationally lock hands with this mom and this child and ultimately that family. Because the felt need of, I got a kid, I don't want to have, have HIV. Guess what? We have a solution. Come. So that's kind of a big next push for us. And we believe the need is massive and there will be um, so much opportunity for us there.